Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Michelle are in Thailand uh, with uh, Rick and Colleen, just looking at some new ministry opportunities over there, some great things coming together. So uh, Rick and Colleen are going to be moving there, and uh, Colleen's already been over there preparing, and so that's what they're up to for a couple of weeks. We'll let you know more about those uh, ventures and adventures soon. But uh, hey, I'm so glad that this worship team could come up and just uh, be with us. Thank you guys, wherever they are. They're probably upstairs eating paradise baked goods, but they're listening to the message. Um, How many of you here uh, in the room today love the theater or have been to a theater production? Right? I mean, you've been to the, to the, what is it, the theater in the park down here? Theater Aspen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. A donor right over here for Theater Aspen. Uh, it, there's some tremendous talent in this valley. What about uh, Broadway? Who here has been to see a show on Broadway? Wow. And how about London? More? <laughs> From my perspective, it looks like more have been to a show in London than on Broadway in New York. Uh, I have it on my bucket list to go see The Lion King in London. Uh, some point. I had it planned two years ago, but COVID shut it down. Uh, but the theater's amazing, isn't it? I think... Um, I think when we go to the theater, there's uh, just a tremendous sense of excitement. Uh, who's seen Phantom of the Opera? How about, how about Hamilton? Let's go a musical. All right, more of you need to see Hamilton. That may be, uh, one friend of mine, Steve Springfield, said, once you've seen Hamilton, you go to see other musical, musicals, and you're like, eh, what you got? So go see Hamilton. That is incredible. So we've all seen these uh, amazing performances, right? And when you go to the theater, there's something about uh, sort of a ceremony as you come to the night. It's not just the show itself. It's uh, the whole uh, process of getting there. You've got your tickets. You go to dinner. You approach the theater. On this evening, you go in the entrance. You're kind of in the lobby. You can feel that buzz. Uh, and the nicer the theater, the more ornate it is, right? You've got these scrolling banisters and artwork and red carpet, always red carpet somewhere in a theater. And you process up the stairs somewhere. Maybe you're at the wheeler, you're finding your seat, you come into the room and it's half full, right? And you're excited. You sit down, find your seats. You're with your party. Who's to the left? Who's to the right? You're sort of talking, chatting, catching up. And then that moment happens, Right? The, the lights come down, and boy, everybody gets quiet. The lights come down, and it goes dark, and you just have that few seconds, that hesitation before the curtain goes up, and you're ready. And the curtain goes up, and then you see the set, the lighting, the orchestra playing. There's some movement happening. You see the scene. You enter the scene. You forget. You forget what you were talking about moments ago, right? Because now there's a whole world in front of you that you're entering into. And there's some movement and the cast comes out and then you see the lead. But what about the understudy? You ever thought about the understudy? The understudy, we all know, uh, we don't think about it much, but the understudy is the, the man or woman who's behind the lead, who's backing them up, who's rehearsing, preparing, learning lines there at the theater for weeks or months before this performance. And that understudy is preparing in the same way the lead is preparing. But we never see the understudy. We haven't seen them. Or have we? Or have we? The understudy is there 
in case something goes wrong, right? The understudy is there. What the show must go on. The old adage in in uh, show business and theater: the show must go on. A friend of mine named Jonathan Gorst. He uh, he ran the Riviera Supper Club down in. Uh, Glenwood Springs for four years, opened it in 2016, was a great supper club. He did some phenomenal things with entertainment uh, because before he ran the supper club, he was the musical director for a little show called Cats and another one called Phantom of the Opera and another one called The Color Purple. Not all at the same time, mind you, but in different seasons of his career. So he was going to retire to the Roaring Fork Valley and start the supper club. And he had these leads come from Broadway, and he would play these performances in his restaurant. It was phenomenal. But Jonathan, uh, he comes to town every now and then. He was in town a couple of months ago. And uh, as a, in pre- preparation to this message, I texted him and said, Hey, how many do you guys travel with an understudy? And he goes, Oh, yeah, not just one, ten. He's doing Cats again now. He sold the supper club back out on tour. Ten understudies. Why? Because you know how many characters there are in Cats. Ten understudies. Why does he travel with ten understudies? Because the show must go on, right? If they're in LA or Houston or Chicago or somewhere, they can't, you know, just get someone to replace. They travel with ten understudies. I want to tell you a story today of an actor we all know who got his start as an understudy. He's done Shakespeare in London, Broadway, and over a hundred feature films since 1967. 1967. He's played compelling characters on stage from Richard Nixon to C.S. Lewis to Pablo Picasso and even the Pope. I remember him in Legends of the Fall in the 90s playing an aging father who was suffering from long-term effects of multiple strokes. Remember that? He's played King Lear, Thor's father, Zorro, and who could forget, though we are trying, Hannibal Lecter, right? Richard Attenborough said of Anthony Hopkins, he described him this way, he is unquestionably the greatest actor of his generation. But Anthony Hopkins got his start as an understudy. In 1965, uh, Laurence Olivier was at the National uh, Theater in London and invited, in 1965, invited Anthony Hopkins to be his understudy for a production there called, Dan- called Dance with Death. And as fate would have it, Laurence Olivier developed uh, pan- not, what he, appendicitis and he couldn't go on. Anthony Hopkins steps in. Why? Because the show must go on. I want to suggest to us today, this morning, that we each, if we're a follower of Christ, we are an understudy to Christ. And the show, the will, the plot, the whole thing must go on. Are you with me? Are you with me? Let's put up a couple of verses here. I don't have a clicker. You want to follow along with me? Yeah, look at this verse here. Truly, truly, from John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. And put the second one up there if you will. John 16, just a few chapters later, a little later in the letter. I tell you the truth, John reiterates the words of Christ. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You with me? If I go, I will send him to you. But wait. Wait, Jesus. You're part of the Trinity. You're the Lord, the Savior. Wouldn't it be better if you stayed? I mean... Come on, Lord. You, you came to heal the sick. You came to deliver those in need. You came to set the captives free. You, you, you are the one who can calm the storm. Wouldn't it be better, church, if he stayed? Yes, no? No, why not? Right, look at these verses. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me, understudy, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. He will do you. We will do these things because I am going to the Father. And I tell you the truth, he says, it is to your advantage that I go. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, we, we can gather from these scriptures, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to be ready to step in. Do you realize that? You see, things are still going to happen. The storms are still going to come. Difficulties are going to come our way. Trials, tribulations, sickness, disease. We're going to see strained relationships and difficult things in our lives. But we are the ones that he's left here and empowered to now do the work. We want to, um, at Crossroads, our hope, our vision, our all of what we do, we hope, helps us grow in our faith and, and gives us experiences to fellowship together and to fellowship with God to grow in these things. And when we think about growth, it, it, it's our transformation, becoming like Christ. This message, I'm trying to pick up from where Steve was last week, becoming like Christ is, is it's inherent in, in the foundations of the gospel. And so to do this, we have to make ourselves available to grow spiritually. Um, there's this guy, Bob, Bob Mulholland. I just got this new book from Dan Kale, as a matter of fact, from a guy, Bob Mulholland, Mulholland wrote a book called An Invitation to a Journey. And, and it's just talking about spiritual growth. And here's what he says about spiritual growth. And I think this is on the next slide, Joe. Spiritual formation or spiritual transformation, spiritual growth. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the likeness of Christ for the sake of others. Spiritual formation 
is the process of being formed in the likeness of Christ for the sake of others. I love this definition of spiritual formation. Christ formed in me. And something that sticks out to me uh, right away about this, this description. You see, I can pursue spiritual formation and transformation even in, in sort of a self-directed way. Uh, and and we, maybe we've all done it. Like, I want to make this part of my life better. Whether it's relationships or business or finances, uh, peace. I, I want to I make this part of my life better. And so I begin to dig, dig in and do things in a self-directed way. I come up with my own ideas. And I figure out, uh, okay, here's what I'm going to do to make this better. But the thing that rubs against that when Christ comes to work on our hearts through his Holy Spirit is this is a process of being formed. It's a whole different mindset where we're subject and submitted to an authority that is far, far, far greater than ourselves. And the insight, the direction, the revelation he gives us is perfect. Does that make sense? I want to talk about a few things today with regard to, to being transformed into the likeness of, of Christ. And like I said, this is a two-part message. We'll come back and dig into some other things in a little deeper in some ways next week. But this week, what I want to do is talk about and just challenge us with some ideas and, and scripture that work on the conditions of our faith. The, the, things, the things prior to our faith, the things, uh, the atmosphere or the circumstances, and just to look at our lives in a way, in four different ways this morning that can help us. All right, if I'm going to do this, what are some conditions of my life that I could look at, maybe make some adjustments, maybe change some things, and, and then maybe there would be more faith in my life. Maybe I would, the conditions of my life and the habits and the things that I'm pursuing are going to make way for that. Is that fair enough? Uh, I think about the parable of the sower uh, to kind of make that point. When, when Jesus said in Matthew 13 that the sower, the parable of the sower, he goes out to sow his seed and some of the seed uh, fell on the path, just right there on top of the path and birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on rocky places, and there's not much ground or soil there. So it sprang up quickly, uh, but it didn't have any root, and it died out. And then still other seed fell among weeds, and concerns and cares of the world choked it out. But some of the seed fell on good soil. What are the conditions of that soil? How, why is it good soil? We know it's probably deeper. But let's look at our lives and sort of examine that a little bit this morning to kind of try and figure that out in the metaphor of an understudy. So what does an understudy do first? The first thing an understudy has to do is read the script. The understudy, if that understudy shows up to that theater and doesn't know what the script is, he has no idea, he or she, the plot. And so for us, what's the script? This, this is too easy. This is real easy. And the service is not even 8.30 anymore. Great job. The script is the Word of God. And we have to consume that in some way. I think oftentimes throughout life, we, we feel like, you know, I have read the Bible. You know, I, you know, I remember what it said in Matthew. 
Yeah, Romans, a little bit. Revelations is weird. (laughs) Do we know the script? I mean, I want to encourage us, go back and just repeatedly, over and over, come back to God's word to help us know what who he's who he is how he moves who we are what is his will and what's he like what's his heart like we have to read the script we have to know the lines and we want to come to those things i think in a few different ways the first is repetitive repetitive come back to the script come back to the word over and over and over and, and I know sometimes we kind of become disinterested with something, um, whether it's a book of the Bible. I mean, it could be a powerful book of the Bible, but if we're not coming to it with some sort of interest, interest, interest and readiness to comprehend it and understand it, this is the second point, we're probably not going to make much sense of it. And so our desire is, Lord, help me understand this. Help me comprehend this. I told my kids since they were first beginning to read, just three words, read for understanding. Read for understanding. Sometimes we can come to the Word and just read over it because it feels like the right religious thing to do. But God is speaking to us and helping us toward Christ-likeness. And so I encourage you, come to the Word repetitively and come to it with a, a readiness to understand. And we can ask the Holy Spirit. The great thing there is we can say, Lord, help me understand this. Show me, Lord, where, where do you, what are you going to teach me in the Word today? And it might be two lines. It might be a chapter. It might be more than that. I don't know. There are all kinds of ways that we can come to the Word. One way that we have promoted in the church here for several years is the Daily Audio Bible. It's just an app where they roll through the entire Bible in, in a year. And that could be a marker for you. There are all kinds of other, other ways to do that. But somehow be in the Word on a, on a regular daily basis. The other one, after sort of comprehension and understanding, it would, it would be really valuable to us to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the Word and saying, Lord, I, I understand that, but Lord, show me. Show me what that means for me. And spend some time just reflecting meditating. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And letting, letting the Lord direct me and counsel me. And the final part of that is application. If I'm reflecting, if, if I'm reading the Word, and I'm understanding, and I'm reflecting, I, I'm going to have some application for this. And this is how God is going to direct us on a daily basis to, to demonstrate His will, to demonstrate what it means to follow Him, what it means to have peace. All right. So the first thing an understudy has to do is read the script, know what's going on, know the plot, and then let's be ready to play our part. All right. So I want to ask you to think for a moment, uh, what is the most valuable possession you own? Just in your mind, just think for a moment, what is the most valuable thing you own? Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it an investment account? What's the most precious, well, no, the most valuable thing you own? I'm sorry? Time. Time. Time is the most valuable thing we own. And what we do with it.
makes a world of difference. And why is it? Why is it that we have, have all, I think all of us at some time or another, have succumbed to this sort of irrational and frenetic relationship with time? Who made time? Science can't prove that, but they know there was a beginning. They don't know how, but there was a beginning in time, space. Space, time was, was created by our God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. It makes sense that he created time, and somehow he can see all of it at once. Can we? No. But God made time. And everything he made in Genesis 1, what did he say about it? It's good. Are you following me? Do I need to teach anymore or just making these connections? He said it was good, right? Why do we say it's bad? We're going to change that, aren't we? What do you think? What do you think are some reasons? Let's just kind of talk here. What, What are some reasons we think, well, I don't have enough time? What are some reasons we think that? What? We waste it. We don't give it to the Lord. We're too busy filling up space and time with all of our selfish needs. Wow. Hold on. (laughs) Who else wants to contribute here? We fear death. Hmm. See, our reaction or relationship with time is based on a lot of wrong assumptions, isn't it? We don't have enough of it, but there is enough of it. Or if we have too much to do, there are some assumptions somewhere that got us to that place as well. So I hope that we can continually take a step back into God's truth. And somehow it's hard to examine. See, the word says that our hearts deceive us. It's really, really hard to examine our own lives and our own perspectives, our own habits. But I think that we have to say, Lord, you made time and it's good. And so I want to change my relationship with time. And that's what an understudy does. Secondly, is use their time well. If that understudy, if Anthony Hopkins, for example, when Lawrence Olivier invited him to be his understudy, if he just sat around in the wings reading a book or checking email, he wouldn't do that in 1965. But let's say he was occupied in some way that was his own selfish desires. Thank you, Curtis. Would he have been ready to step in? No, it's obvious. A lot of rhetorical questions today. It's obvious, isn't it? He would not have been ready to step in. So we, the understudies to Christ, we we probably should consider how we use our time. And I encourage you, take a look at it. I'm sure that all of you said and have said, there's no way I could have an extra two hours every day. And then the bridge work starts. Oh! Oh! How did you do that? How did you still manage to find a meal at 6 p.m. if suddenly you're investing two extra hours you had no idea you were going to be doing every day? 
I don't even go home anymore. I just sleep at the church. (laughs) Kidding. So what do we do with our time? I I encourage you, church, and get with someone. Get with someone. My, My wife knows that I am the most inefficient person on the planet. She can do something like that. And I'm like, wait a second. I do three other things in preparation for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know those couples. You don't have to shout out. No, 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 it's just, I'm just helping you. You know, and, and she just, you know, it frustrates her to no end. It's like, why would that take so long? Why would that take so long? So here's what I did after 56 years. In the spring, it finally comes to me. Hey, Derek, this must have been the Spirit of God. He probably said it for 56 years. Why don't you pray about your inefficiency? Why don't you pray for some direction? And I said simple prayer a number of times. Lord, I want to be more efficient. I don't want to waste time. And, and, and now we're digging into some personality things here that you and I could easily say, you know, it's just how I am. You know, I, I think you just need to back off because that's how I am. It's just how I am. And, and there are some great things the way God's made us. But as his followers, we have to examine our lives because our heart does deceive us. And we can get so rooted in some belief about our own habits and life that it's just, it's, it's, it's an assumption we've made. Or it's a lie the enemy has whispered to us somewhere. And this is just how it's going to be. And so I encourage you, lay this out here for God. Um, what are the service times? 10.30. Okay. Is that what time we're finishing? Um, I want to I show you just a few books because um, I, I, I think we, we need to make time for spiritual reading. We read the script. We read the script. And there are those people that read, don't read anything else but the Bible. But these are pastors and teachers and people who've written about their lives uh, and this is just a little smattering. In fact, I don't even think I'll go over them. Um, maybe one. Um, to sit down, and maybe we'll talk about this next week. Spiritual reading is, is one way to use our time. To invest in reading a biography of one of the great followers of Christ. Or one not a not so well-known follower of Christ or a pastor or some experience that people have had in their lives of faith. And those things help stir our thoughts and help break us out of some of these routines and ruts that we've gotten into. So I would encourage you, uh, try, try, maybe try that. There's some spiritual, all kinds of resources out there. And uh, actually one Steve I think mentioned last week was the great omission by Dallas Willard. Um, actually, yeah, I'm going to mention a couple here. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Unbelievable book. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. That kind of speaks to that attitude or relationship we have with time that's not true. And we run around in these frenetic patterns, but let God renew that somehow. And, you know, reading other material, uh, C.S. Lewis, by the way, the screw tape letters is in here. Um, C.S. Lewis said that was the hardest book he'd ever written because he had to put himself in the mind of Christ. He had to think, I mean, I'm sorry, put himself in the mind of the enemy. And if you remember, if you read that book, the enemy in the book, it's twisted. The enemy is God. 
That's right. It's a, it's a senior demon writing to a junior demon about your behavior and the things that could get you off track with fellowship with God. And oh, it's so cleverly written. In fact, Peter Crave said that book will be around a thousand years from now because it pulls back the veil on the schemes of the enemy in so many ways. R- read the screw tape letters. Now, as soon as you sit down to try and get some control over your time, I can tell you what's going to happen. The enemy is going to double down. There are going to be many, many urgent things suddenly that will shake you from this effort. You hear me? I'm going to read you a little excerpt from my journal. This is not to hold over my head later. Here's a simple entry from a month ago. Sitting down to read on Tuesday. Early this morning, I planned a little time for spiritual reading. I sat down with a book which I've read and referenced numerous times over the years. A book which has been significant to my spiritual growth and formation in the Christian faith. This book has given me inspiration to make myself available again and again to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I made a cup of coffee. I set the lights just right. The atmosphere, perfect. I was ready for a deep dive, for soul work. I had my sights set on a specific chapter to review and, re- and renewed application. I began reading. A few moments, my phone beeped. It didn't occur to me that I'd taken it off silent mode the day before so as not to miss an important call. My wife hates that my phone is always on silent confession but i forgot that i'd take taken it off silent mode the day before so as not to miss an important call the banner on my phone announced that a close friend had just texted a photo out of respect for the friend i knew i needed to check the photo i'm sure it's important after seeing the snapshot of their breakfast i laughed out loud and replied cleverly Seeing this friend in the photo made me think of another friend. Hmm. A friend whom I haven't seen in a while. I quickly checked a social feed to see what they're up to and thought to myself, I must call them soon. By now I could sense my mind flitting here and there, changing directions as quickly as a hummingbird. But I must be strong, at least as strong as a hummingbird. (laughs) But if I can't be strong, I'll be determined. And so I continued. To allow more wandering thoughts. I allowed still more miscellaneous information into my mind. I remembered where they live. The church they attend. Their family. And the art scene which they are are immersed in. Being reminded of their little corner of the world. And their corner of the arts. I remembered that I could participate. By watching an upcoming performance. Through a live stream service. So I checked the dates on the upcoming performances. Of course, then I saw other performances and thought of still other areas of life which needed immediate attention. In other words, I'm already Googling that. In seconds, displayed on my phone, right in the palm of my hand, are multiple significant educational decisions to be made. In other words, which link should I click? And so after many flitting micro-mental excursions to secure some new nugget of knowledge, which I am certain can serve me in some way in the future... And most of all, which I will soon forget, I returned to the book in my lap. 
I realized 45 minutes had passed. I read only half a page, 15 lines, including the title of the chapter. I reread those 15 lines and felt the heavy weight of these words. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The spiritual life calls us to move beyond surface living and into the depths. Shoot. How many of us have done that? Oh my gosh. How many times? Are we out of control? Are we totally out of control? It's the last fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Self-control. So what we do with our time is important. But you know, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to redeem that. Because it seems to me and a lot of other people that 50 years ago or 100 years ago, we had a much greater capacity to focus. Are we made differently today? The enemy is out to distract us from the real work, from the deep work of the soul, of transformation. And I and you, we want to recognize when that's happening. I want him to be exposed. But it happens so subtly. Like, this couldn't possibly be evil. Could it? Let's go to number three. Number three. What does the understudy do? They're part of the cast. The understudy is part of the cast. The understudy, they're not different. They're not outcasts. They're part of the cast. Of the cast. That's their tribe. Who's the cast? Who's the cast in this Christian walk? Yeah. Let's get more specific. We are. Who is we? The church. Let's get more specific. Who is the church? The congregation. Who's the congregation? What? I'm sorry? The believers. We're getting there. Those who believe in Christ? Well, we're getting there. But you see, let's just ask some questions of ourselves, right? Who's the cast? The cast is, is the group of followers of Christ that, yes, Jesus called the church. But the church has many, 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 many meanings today. And so we want to hang out with the cast. I, I, I can't tell you how important that is and has been in my life. Many, many years ago, Jen and I, uh, we were doing youth ministry together. Uh, Young Life in the Valley here. It was called Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the time. It was Young Life before historical transitions. But we were in youth ministry together with people in this room. Lee Sullivan, Dan Dangler, Blake Appleby, Alana Appleby, Bobby Cluck. Um, who else was there? That crew 
we did ministry together and I'll tell you quickly, the way we got involved, we kind of heard about this thing going on. We go over, we check it out. Um, some leader says, hey, do you guys want to be involved? Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be great. And about four weeks into it, about four weeks into this commitment to youth ministry, one Sunday night, Jen and I are like, gosh, it's been a busy week. Um, man, let's just take the night off. Let's Let's not go tonight. I mean, they got other leaders there. And fortunately for us, uh, we felt this quiet voice of the Lord. And we responded and said, no, wait, wait, what are we thinking? We have to be there. And so we not only went that night, we don't miss a night. Sunday night, unless we were traveling for years. And, and immersing ourselves just in, in a fellowship of followers of Christ. There is an inherent value in that, that you can't tell what's happening. And you can't tell always how it's encouraging you. Just the, the, the words they say, the things they do, the, the prayers they pray, the service they provide, the the. the question they ask you about life and just the way we flow through life together is the cast the body of christ strengthening each other and 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 now you and i we're going to go and look for it when we need it specific strength and specific help and when we see someone in need we provide specific help and and specific uh, counsel or direction or prayer or whatever it may be but there is just an inherent value of being among the cast, the church, that you cannot count the blessings. And I know we all struggle with that because there's so much traffic. And it's just one more thing to do. But ask yourself, how am I involved in the cast? How am I involved? How am I receiving that benefit and that encouragement on a regular basis somehow? Or do I just go when the traffic's not bad? And it might be corporate worship. It might be a discipleship group or a home church. I, I just examine our lives. Let's examine our lives together and say, Lord, okay, I want to step forward in that. I want to be part of the cast. The last thing that... Um, and, and this may be the most important, but it's not removed from the others. The last thing an understudy does, Joe, is we click the next one there. Takes direction from the director. Takes direction from the director. Who's the director? Yeah. That's not an airtight analogy, you know. I mean, there's a choreographer, right, who's fulfilling the wishes, but I'm not going to try to. Don't. Taking direction from the director, I think, is enough for us. But it's not removed from these other things. I think one of the first steps of self-denial that we could participate in is to say, Lord, I, I need your direction. Because that's a submitted attitude. That's a submitted heart. And if you do that, 
And, and, and listen, we all do this. I think when we really want direction is when it, it gets really difficult. That's when we really get serious about direction. But there are struggles and trials and tribulations and a life to live every day to encounter. And the Lord even said, this one has enough trouble of its own. So ask, ask for counsel, ask for direction. And when we do that, I, I, I can easily forget that I asked anything because it just feels, it can feel like a, a, a simple religious exercise. I prayed, I asked for direction, I feel a bit better about myself. But if we're going to pray, if we're going to ask for that counsel and for that direction, there's something else we need to do. What should we do? Take steps. Watch for that direction. What is that direction? And as I said a few moments ago, uh, this is not removed from the other three. Reading the script. Reading the word. It's going to be a lot easier to take direction from the director if we've read the script and we're connecting those two and they will connect. They will connect. It's going to be a lot easier if we're using our time well, because we're making adjustments in this, these conditions of our life and hopefully the conditions of faith to prepare the way for the voice of the Lord. And it's going to be a lot easier if we are among the cast, right? Does that make sense? And you know, God's, the economy of the kingdom, like I think we often want to see, well, I want to see, I'm going to pray for this and I want to see this happen. But when we immerse ourselves in his kingdom, when we immerse ourselves in his word and in his time, and in his church. The return to us is 30 and 60 and 90 full. You can't measure it. You can't calculate it. There's just this compound blessing of God. Doesn't mean we're not going to have trials and struggles and tribulations. But when we're investing our time well, there's another precious commodity that is coming our way. And that's his peace. We're all kind of looking for those things. Peace, joy, love. But when we're immersing ourselves in, in this scene and in the plot of the director, our father, our savior, our counselor, boy, that's being multiplied in our lives so many times over. Does that make sense? Uh, so take these things. Actually, there's a final slide, I think, with all four of them up there, Joe. Um, oh, before that. Yeah, read the script. An understudy reads the script, invests their time well, is part of the cast, and takes direction from the director. Um, if the worship team will come on back up, we're, we're going to close and come to the Lord's table this morning. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.